people have submitted names to me and I've gone through the list of names and picked them out and uh, preaching on various personalities. And so we've, uh, we've done uh, people like Zacchaeus, which is very encouraging. We did Tamar last week. That was a very difficult one, but I think necessary to talk about Tamar. Uh, and Amnon and David, and uh, this morning we are uh, going to, I'm going to teach on Jesus. Figure if you do a series in the Bible on personalities, Jesus should probably come up at some point. And thankfully, one of you submitted Jesus' name in the list to do, And uh, but it was specific. I, I said when you pick the personality, you may want to pick the context in which you want to hear the sermon on that personality. And so it was Jesus in Revelation as the the line of Judah. And so we're talking about Jesus as the line of Judah. It, when we get into the book of Revelation, I'll just forewarn you that it can be difficult itself just talking about Revelation, but then as we talk about Jesus as the line of Judah, we have to get ourselves sort of into the right frame of mind of understanding that in Jesus we have the picture of all of God. He said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what we're going to do this morning is practice seeing the whole Jesus, not just the Jesus that we prefer or the Jesus that we want or the Jesus that we like, but the whole Jesus, the Lion and the Lamb of God. And so just to give you some context, I'll I'll tell a little story. And, And this is a story that is a life illustration that probably you share. And because I think we all have stories like this. And I remember... When I was a little boy, when my mom or dad told me to never go to X or to touch Y. You guys have all had a story to start like that, right? Mom and dad said, don't go there, don't touch that. And so, of course, since we're little kids, that was exactly what we needed to do. So we touched Y or we went to X knowing full well that we were not supposed to. And while we were doing or touching or going in ways that we were not supposed to go, we really thought that we were getting away with it. Right? You're remembering the time now, your specific case. You thought you were getting away with it. And then suddenly, as our stories go, out of nowhere, there was dad or there was mom or there was grandmom, and we knew at that moment that we were done for. And then the story ends with, and we didn't sit down for a week or something along those lines, Right? So as I said, now I'm guessing most of you have told that kind of story and you were smiling when you told it. And the amazing thing about that story or that life illustration is that as we are recounting a moment in our life when the shock of our parents discovering our misbehavior literally scared the life out of us. At that moment when we are caught in our disobedience, we are terrified, right? We almost lose our bladders just a little bit, right, at that moment when we are caught red-handed. And we are spanked or grounded or had something we love taken away for a time or we've been at least rebuked or embarrassed, you know, publicly in the supermarket aisle. But when we tell that story now, we tell it with a smile on our face and without any hint of blame toward our parents. We don't blame them for it because we know that they were absolutely correct in bringing the justice that they brought in that moment and that the justice that they brought was correct and it was warranted and it was necessary and that it was completely consistent with their love for us. It was not inconsistent with their love as our mother or father that they would bring justice into our lives when we were wayward and strained and disobedient and rebellious. 
And so I start with this illustration because it sets us in the right frame of mind to begin with, just to begin to be able to imagine how love and justice must be held perfectly by God and how love and justice appear perfectly in who Jesus really is, the real person of Jesus. Because everyone who engages with Jesus seems to have a different view of him. And this is what I mean. The the shepherd saw only a peasant baby in a manger. But the angels could see and sing to the glory of a newborn king. The crowds of Jews saw only a traveling rabbi who could feed them fish and bread. But Jesus showed his disciples that he was the bread of life come down from heaven. The Romans could only see a religious and political agitator who was expediently crucified like thousands of others that they had before. But God saw that the sacrifice required to cover the sins of the whole world and Satan saw his own inevitable defeat. Everybody looking at Jesus sees him differently. Historians and philosophers, revolutionaries and the religious all through history have all come along and tried to say, this is the real Jesus. Listen to me. I have the picture of Jesus. Today, what I want to consider is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is also the Lion of Judah. And if we are in any danger of not seeing the real Jesus in our church today, in our century, and in our culture, it is probably that we will confine Jesus to being mostly or being entirely the Lamb, and we will avoid or neglect seeing that Jesus is also the Lion. The truth is that Jesus has always been both lion and lamb, even in the Gospels, where we like to spend most of our time learning about Jesus and where we see Jesus portraying the love of God, we often, even in the Gospels, miss that he is also the lion. We remember the Jesus who says, Therefore, whoever comes as humble as this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, in Matthew 18, verse 4. But then we often forget that in the same breath, literally, Jesus says in verse 6 that if anyone should cause a child to sin, it would go better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea compared to what I'm going to do to them if they should lead these children astray. We frequently quote Jesus who said he did not come to judge in John 3:17 and 12:47, but we quote less often those verses that remind us that God has already judged and his very presence will divide people for or against him in Matthew 10 and John 9. We love the Jesus who came to save the whole world, but we are unsure what to do with the Jesus that will also separate people of the world like separating sheep from goats. We love the Jesus who shows compassion on the Roman soldier and healing his son, but we're not so sure what to do about Jesus whipping the vendors out of the temple. Jesus has always been the lamb and the lion. And so to fully worship Jesus, we need to recapture the full picture of who Jesus is, the excellence of Jesus in both love and in justice so that we know and admire and glorify the Jesus who really is, not just a safe picture of Jesus that we've constructed for ourselves that never deals with the whole nature of God and the whole counsel of Scripture. And as we've said many times and why we talk about both Zacchaeus and Tamar is that here at Lakeside we look at the whole counsel of Scripture. We don't just pick and choose the things that we prefer. And so today we're looking at Jesus who is both Lamb of God and Lion of Judah. And to see that most plainly, we see it in the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, we literally see Jesus unveiled. 
The word that we translate revelation is actually the apocalypse. And the word apocalypse in modern language we associate with obviously damage and destruction and end times because that's kind of came from the book of Revelation. But the word apocalypse literally just means uncovering or unveiling. And so the book of Revelation uh, is God basically saying to the Apostle John, I am going to uncover or I am going to unveil what is actually happening in the real world what we would call the spiritual world, but what God would call the real world. This world is just a shadow of what is going on behind the scenes. And in Revelation or in the apocalypse, God says, through my angel, John, I'm going to unveil, I'm going to uncover what is going on in the real world, and I'm going to give you a glimpse of what is actually taking place. And so here is where we actually see Jesus as he is in the unveiling. So in the book of Revelation, we finally see first verse of Revelation says, The revelation, or the unveiling, the apocalypse from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. And God tells Jesus what to show John, and Jesus sends an angel with instructions on what he's allowed to show John in these visions, and John writes down these visions for us to know what he is shown. And so John is seeing with human eyes this incredible spiritual reality shown before him and it can be confusing and it can be a bit scary because we are not fully equipped to comprehend this real world yet but God gives us and saves for us the final book of his Bible the last chapter as you would of his love letter to us he gives us a glimpse of Jesus unveiled He's not veiled in his human form. He's not even veiled in the form that he came to the disciples after the resurrection. It is Jesus literally unveiled as he should be seen, both lion and lamb. And this glimpse in Revelation, what I want to do this Sunday, and I'm certain is to aid our comprehension of the perfection and the glory and the worthiness of Jesus for our worship. Because Jesus is not just a nice guy who happens to be our friend and You know, the worst thing that we possibly did was we weren't friends with him. Jesus that we encounter in Revelation is the Jesus who is God and who we worship. So Revelation shows us as close as we are able in this world, Jesus. Not the Jesus that we necessarily prefer or the one that we like to dwell on, the one that fits into our culture or that is, you know, sympathetical with our worldview, Revelation just presents Jesus as the perfection of God's judgment against sin, his justice towards evil, and his mercy and his grace and his love towards those who trust in him, both the lamb and the lion. So let's look at Revelation 5, 1 to 7 first. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing 
at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So this is the picture of the Lion of Judah that we are looking at. And in this picture we have from John in chapter 5 a picture of the veil or the curtain pulled back to reveal what is going on in the throne room of God. And this is what he sees. First of all, John sees that there is a throne. And there's a being on that throne that was difficult to even describe. If you go back in chapter 4, John says that the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone and, and like an emerald encircled the throne. And so John says there's a throne and there's this dazzling figure that looks like gems and rubies and emeralds and a rainbow and it's dazzling and you can't even comprehend the figure of who God the Father is. And he's not like man. He is a spirit and he's beyond comprehension. And this is John grasping to try to describe what he sees of God the Father sitting on the throne, radiant like a rare jewel. And then in the hand, figuratively, obviously this rainbow shining color doesn't have a hand, but figuratively in the vision of God, in the right hand of God, there's a scroll. So there's a throne and there's a scroll, and this scroll is sealed with seven seals. That means it's perfectly sealed. It's an unbreakable sealing. It's sealed with all the perfection of law and all of due process and all authority, and there's nothing unjust or overlooked or improper about the seals on this scroll, and because of that, no one can open it. That's what we're told in the vision. No one can open the seals of the scroll, and this causes John to weep. Why is he weeping? Whatever is in the scroll, it has to be opened because John is weeping that it can't be opened because no one is found worthy. And we know from chapter 4 as well that this throne is surrounded by angels and it's surrounded by the 24 elders representing mankind and it's surrounded by the four beasts of the world. So there is no beast, there is no man, there is no angel who can open this scroll and John is weeping because of the consequences of this scroll staying sealed. It's incredible vision. What's going on here? But then in verse 5, continues. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So there's a lion here as well. There's a throne There's the Father God radiant on the throne. There's a scroll. But now we are told there is a lion in this vision. He says, see and behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is here. He has triumphed. He can check the batteries after VBS. And so maybe they're starting to fail. (laughs) But there is this lion here in this vision as well. And so then... Remember, the elder says to John, look, behold, there is a lion of the tribe of Judah. And then we continue on. In the very next verse, John actually does look. He does as he's told. And he says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And so when John looks, he sees a lamb. and a lamb that is able to sit on the throne and open the scroll. Now what we have to take note of here is that there's no indication of anything that is contradictory to John's perceptions in the vision. The elder says that the Lion of Judah is here, and John looks and he beholds a lamb. So there is a lion-like lamb, and there is a lamb-like lion. 
in this vision. It's a lamb who appears to be slain. In other words, it's a lamb that has the wounds of being killed, of being sacrificed. It's a bloody, wounded lamb, but it's clearly alive. It's standing on the throne, able to open the seals. And it's bearing the seven horns of perfect authority and the seven eyes of perfect knowledge and omniscience. And now the center of attention of this lamb-like lion is the scroll. And we have to talk just a little bit about what the scroll is. I don't want to linger too long on the scroll, but if we were to look at other times when God has revealed his plans to his prophets, we could look in Ezekiel 2 and we would find God showing Ezekiel a scroll. We could look in Isaiah 29 where God tells Isaiah that the vision he's given Isaiah is like words sealed in a scroll that no one can open. Ezekiel 2 says, But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And then I looked... And I saw a hand stretched out to me, and in it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And so in Ezekiel, the hand reaches out a scroll that is filled with woe and lament for those who are rebellious. The justice of God. Then in Isaiah, he says, For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And if you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, Read this, please, they will answer, I cannot read it. It's sealed. And so we have this sealed scroll. Nobody can open, can't read it. And in these instances, and if you go to Daniel as well, the same scroll is there. The scrolls or the books that can't be opened or understood are scrolls of God's judgment on his enemies and redemption of his people. In other words, to summarize, the scroll is God's good plan for the world. It's God's plan unfolding for the world. So God has a plan for judgment and redemption, and it's a perfect plan. And without that plan, there would be no judgment for evil in the world, and there would be no redemption or grace available to the world. Without God's plan, there's neither justice nor mercy. And that is why when John sees that no one can open the scroll, he's weeping. Because he's saying, if we cannot have God's plan, then we are literally doomed. We need this scroll to be opened. And John is weeping because it's a terrible thing if God's plan cannot be unfolded for humanity. If we are to be governed, we want to be governed by God's plan. If there's no possible redemption by God's mercy for those that call out to him, then we should double our weeping because there's no mercy or grace or forgiveness or future inheritance. And so this is why John is weeping, because there must be justice and there must be mercy. But John doesn't need to keep weeping because there is a lion who will bring justice and there is a lamb who will bring mercy. There has to be justice and there has to be redemption and the two come together in perfection in the lion and the lamb. And this is where we enter Jesus. The elder tells John, there is a lion here. It's the lion of Judah who can open this scroll. So where does this lion of Judah come from? And the neat thing about Revelation is that when you're reading Revelation, there's a whole lot of Genesis in it, right? There's a tree of life. There's a river. There's a garden, right? There's a lion. Where's the lion in Genesis? Well, in Genesis 49, 8 to 12, Jacob is speaking his prophecy and his blessing on his sons who are going to become the tribes of Israel. And his blessing for Judah, and it's Judah's line that will lead to King David and who will ultimately lead to Jesus. He says to Judah, he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. 
You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. And so there is a picture here of divine judgment and final authority that Jacob bestows on Judah. That in this line, a king will come who will have the obedience of the nation and he will rule with a scepter and his robes will be like blood. Who can open the scroll of judgment? The elders say, here is the one who can open the scroll of judgment because he is the lion of the genealogy of Judah. He is able to judge the world rightly. He is the justice of God. And so we see in Revelation, Jesus in this same light. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Jesus is our salvation and redemption, but Jesus is also the wrath and the judgment of God. And we don't often like to think of Jesus this way, but we must. You go further in Revelation, and the veil is pulled even further back for John. And he sees in Revelation 19 this lamb-like lion coming again. He sees the Son of Man coming. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Isn't that cool? There's a name for Jesus that none of us know yet. We're going to find out. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We don't think about Jesus like this too much, right? Coming in a robe, dipped in blood with a sword to judge the rebellious and those that would refuse to give God glory, those who would refuse to confess of their sin, those who would continue to shake their fist and rebel and go their own way. There is a time coming when Jesus will also be the authority and the justice of God. He is the lamb, but he's also the lion, and he's going to come dressed this way with a big tattoo on his thigh, apparently. We don't think of Jesus with tattoos and swords, right? But he's coming this way. He's coming with eyes blazing, and a robe made red with blood. God is the Lord of angel armies. We talked about two weeks ago about angels. Remember the Lord of heavenly hosts, the God of angel armies. And now we learn that, of course, Jesus leads that army. Jesus is the Lion of Judah that will rule just as Jacob prophesied with an iron scepter over the people who have not escaped the wrath of God. Now, as Christians, very often we tend to really like Jesus the Lamb but we're just not sure what to do with Jesus the lion. But we cannot and we must not try to be saved by only half of a Jesus. In fact, half of a Jesus cannot save us. 
Because if we only believe in half of Jesus, then we have nothing to be saved from. We cannot depend on the mercy of the Lamb unless we properly understand the victory that is won for us by the Lion. Consider this. What does redemption mean if there is no justice? What are we saved from if there is no judgment? What exactly are you rescued from if there is no day coming when God is going to punish the wicked for their rebellion? How is it that you have received spiritual life if there is no spiritual death? What have you been transferred into the kingdom of light from if it is not out of the kingdom of darkness? There has to be a lion for the lamb. We cannot treasure and cherish the redemption that we have in Jesus unless we know the judgment that is stored up for the unrighteous. And you may never turn and run to Jesus unless you understand that there is not only love and mercy and forgiveness in accepting Jesus, but there is also justice and final punishment for those that reject God. You won't ever think you need saving unless you know there's something to be saved from. So this is why we have to see Jesus in his entirety. The book of Revelation is a magnificent corrective. If you have managed to get through 65 books of the Bible that are all about Jesus and somehow come away with the idea that the sum of Jesus is a lowly lamb who is meek and mild and who just wants more friends like you and your greatest sin in your life is that you have deprived him of your friendship, then you have not understood the law or the prophets or the gospel or the apostles. But you have one last chance in Revelation to see Jesus correctly. When the veil is removed, when the curtain is pulled back, the truth is that we are rebellious people. We are resisting the truth of God. We have sinned against a righteous and holy and pure God who cannot ignore justice and still be called good. He has to be just. Just like our parents. Our parents would not be good parents if they just let us rebel and go whatever way in our life that we wanted, even to our own destruction. Our parents, in their goodness and love for us, had to exact justice and correction. And we saw that it was good, and God is no different. In fact, God is obviously not like our parents. We are simply a shadow of the goodness that's in God. God must be just. Sin cannot continue to prosper. There's a day coming when God and his perfect justice will be poured out through his servant. And that servant will be Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We are told that his enemies will be made footstools under his feet. And the blood of his vengeance will stain his robes red on that day. That's the lion of Judah. That's Jesus. But at the very same time, the lion who will judge is a lamb-like lion. He has already won a very different sort of victory for us, not by his sword or by his claws, but by laying down his life as a sacrificial lamb. His grace and his mercy and forgiveness is available to everyone who turns away from their rebellion and accepts his sacrifice for their sin. And this is significant because Jesus is the very image of God and God is holy and just and righteous and if we delight in his holiness and his righteousness then we must also rejoice in his justice against sin and wickedness. But we should not be surprised or find Jesus any less admirable because he is the lion as well as the lamb. Jesus has always been the lion and the lamb and we love and admire the whole Jesus. And we love and admire him because he is the lion but because he is also the lamb. And so the... The question that is raised then 
is if this is the full Jesus, if this is the whole Jesus, which Jesus is going to come to you? Is Jesus going to come as the lion or is Jesus going to come as the lamb? And the beauty of this picture, I go back to it again, is that there was a lamb-like lion and there was a lion-like lamb and neither of them are inconsistent. Jesus' love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and he is all of that for any rebel who will come to him. He will lay down his life. The magnificent lion of Judah will lay down his life like a lamb in sacrifice for you if you come to him. He's given his body and his blood on the cross already to rescue you from your own rebellion and from the justice of God that is coming. Jesus is that lamb. He's the lamb of God and the lion of Judah. And so we need to worship Jesus for all that he is. He lays down his life as the lamb to save us from the justice of God that is found. And it is justice, just like in our parents, that story I told, that is warranted and necessary. It's justice that's required. It's interesting in C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read the Narnia series, I'm sure I'm talking about a familiar story. There's a reason that C.S. Lewis paints Aslan as a lion. When the children first come into the land, um, Lucy and Susan and the rest of them visit the house of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, if you remember, and they're with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and Mr. Beaver is going to take them, and he says that he is going to take them to see the king. And Lucy, I think it is, asks, he says, is he a man? And he says, a man? No, he's, he's a lion. And I think it's Susan says, a lion? I think I would be quite afraid to go and see a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, and Mrs. Beaver says, well, you should be afraid, dearie. Anybody who comes into the presence of the king without their knees knocking is either very brave or more foolish than anyone. And uh, then Mr. Beaver says, Safe? Of course he's not safe. He's the king of the beasts. He's a lion. He isn't safe, but he's good. And that is the picture. C.S. Lewis did that very purposefully to make Jesus a lion in his story and not a lamb. Because we have to understand that the wrath of God is our destiny. And that Jesus is the lion of Judah who will be the wrath of God on us unless we accept him as the Lamb of God and the sacrifice. So don't worship just half a Jesus. Understand the whole Jesus. And we worship him all the more because we know what the Lamb of God has saved us from, the Lion of Judah. Let's pray. Father God, we know that this revelation is its a mystery. It's an unveiling of a spiritual world that is hard for us to comprehend. And John had only glimpses and visions of what was taking place. But in it we see the truth. And so, Father, we need this corrective. We need to see your perfect love, but also your perfect justice. And we see your perfect love and your perfect justice accomplished on the cross in the body of Jesus Christ. On the cross, you showed us that your justice will be done. Sin and unrighteousness and rebellion must be punished. But then you showed your perfect love and said, I will be the sacrificial lamb. I will take upon myself the justice that is due to you, my creation. And so, Father, we turn to your cross and see Jesus the lamb and Jesus the lion. We see your justice and your purity and your righteousness. And at the exact same time, we see your perfect love and your perfect mercy. 
And so we worship you for all of who you are, justice and forgiveness. And we worship you most perfectly and most properly through your son, Jesus, who is a perfect picture of you and perfectly pictured all of this on the cross. Lord, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.